The people are going to the polls now on Election Day 2020. Decency people used to show to one another and still do, but he just doesn't get. We have made America safe again, and we will make America great again. Tonight, one of the most tumultuous and historic elections in American history comes to a close. Tonight, America will decide whether to send President Donald Trump back to the White House or to send him packing in favor of former Vice President Joe Biden. As America votes, the country will decide who to be their next leader. I am the least racist person in this room. Come on, this guy is a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. Get ready for unbiased polls, surveys, and results. See the latest predictions on Politics Weekly. It's the election of a lifetime, a race that will redefine a generation and redefine history as we know it. From the economy, to the COVID-19 pandemic, to racial justice protests, to the Supreme Court, America will decide. Tonight, the people are voting. The country is watching. A new leader is being selected in Politics Weekly Election 2020 Special. In order to meet the challenges today, we can't just build back the way things were before. We have to build back better. He was only a good vice president because he understood how to kiss Barack Obama's ass. America may never be the same on this historic night. Welcome back to Politics Weekly, and welcome to the very highly anticipated Election Day special. Uh, if you're uh, listening to this, this will be coming out Tuesday uh, on Election Day, uh, which means uh, potentially tonight or potentially in the coming weeks or months, uh, we should know uh, who uh, the next president of the United States will be. Uh, voters uh, tonight will... Uh, finally uh, get to decide whether they will re-elect the current president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, or send him packing uh, in favor of Democratic former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, joining me uh, to discuss today, we have, uh, for starters, we have my father. He's the, um, uh, he was the, uh, uh, he worked on George W. Bush's presidential campaign. He also worked on John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and he uh, was an advisor for former uh, New York Governor George Pataki. Thank you for joining me. Happy to be here, Nolan. Uh, we also have uh, one of the former DNC delegates, uh, and he was also uh, a uh, he was also a Democratic candidate for uh, Governor of Kansas. He made headlines during that year. Uh, for being one of the youngest candidates to ever run for uh, for governor of Kansas, Mr. Jack Bergeson. Jack, thanks for joining me. Oh, it's no problem. Glad to be here. 
And finally, uh, we have a, he was a Republican candidate for governor, uh, Mr. Uh, Tyler Rusich. Good to see you, Ty. Yep, nice to see you. All right, so we're going to start with uh, predictions, gentlemen. Um, we're we're going to talk a little bit about what our predictions are for this election, uh, what uh, are, uh, what, what do we think is going to happen? So we'll start with you, Jack. Uh, what are your predictions for this election? Well, you know, I'm going to make, I'm actually, you know, I'm going to make a final prediction tomorrow um, because I tend to, you know, that day before election day, by then it's pretty solid. You know, right now there's still, I'm still waiting on a couple of polls to see what the final batch says um, before I really say, okay, but, you know, we're really starting to see Wisconsin today, a bunch of solid polls for Biden. You know, initially I was worried about Wisconsin um, as a Democrat, but I'm, I'm not worried about Wisconsin anymore. I'm not really worried about Michigan on the Senate or presidential Pennsylvania, that's still a little too close for comfort. Um, if there's a polling error that favors on the president's side, that, that could be a little close to me, closer than we want it to be. Um, you know, Florida, again, you know, I guess would be a tilt Biden state, but other than, you know, it's it's close. They could definitely go either way. Uh, same thing with Georgia, same thing with North Carolina. Um, you know, I think and then in Texas is very interesting state that I expect to be close. I, I you know, I'm going to say advantage Trump just because of the historical nature of Texas and the polling is still showing Trump ahead. But I think that's the state to watch and to see for trends. Um, I'm very interested in the trends in Texas, um, not even necessarily in the final result. Um, but I will be very, because, you know, but again, the you know, I'm going to, on, on election night, I'm going to be watching the South. I'm going to be watching North Carolina. I'm going to be watching Georgia. I'm going to be watching Florida because those states are expected to have results because they're already counting the absentee ballots as they come in. Um, so we will have a much better reason, you know, so if Biden is winning two out of those three states, it would look very good for him, even though we will not have the whole results in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania for quite some time. Um, you know, my prediction officially, yet, you know, I do have Trump winning Iowa. I do think Trump is going to win Iowa. I'm fairly confident in that. Um, I think Biden, you know, I think Biden's going to do fairly well. You know, I think, you know, the, the, I cannot predict the state of Georgia and Florida. I just don't feel comfortable predicting those yet. Um, you know, but I have to give Biden the advantage from looking at certain things. But um, those states are very close, and there's a lot of Republican history in those states. And so I really don't feel comfortable saying, you know, I, I don't want to be sound partisan. Like, I know the system for Biden. You know, I think there's a slight advantage there. And those states will get a very good idea on election night of how those states are going. Um you know, same with Ohio. Ohio is another interesting state. I think it's leaning advantage Trump right now um, by the smallest margins. And but you know, if, if that's a state to watch, if Trump is out running and doing you know winning by five points in Ohio, that is bad news for Democrats, especially in Pennsylvania. However, if Biden is keeping it close or narrowly ahead in Ohio on election night. That is going to be very good for Biden looking forward at the rest of the Rust Belt results. Ohio is the only Rust Belt state that's competitive that we are expecting to have a good chunk of results on election night. So I think Ohio is vital to watch to kind of get the pulse on the Rust Belt because, you know, Trump won it by nine last time. And so if he's getting close to that and if he's, you know, if he's running six, seven points ahead on election night, once, once we get some of the, once we get most of the counties in, I'm going to be concerned. However, if it's close or even leaning Biden, I will feel very, very, very good. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of states. I just, you know, I think there's a bunch of states to watch, a bunch of states that are super close, leaning one way or the other. Um, and, you know, we're seeing high turnout. You know, Texas has already surpassed its 2016 turnout. Uh, Hawaii has, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, a bunch of states on par to pass their 2016 turnout. So we have Election Day. Um, and so turnout is, I think, polling could be interesting because if turnout is higher among Republican groups, 
there could be again another um, there could be some underpolling of Trump voters. However, there's some signs that younger voters are coming in at much bigger margins, which could be underpolling Democratic because you know a lot of people talk about 2016 as being you know the polls were you know there was only one state the polls were fundamentally wrong in 2016 that was Wisconsin. The rest of them were within the margin of error. Um, and so then you go look at 2012, and there were many states that Obama outran the polling. Um, by significant margins, um, especially in the Rust Belt, and and I believe oh there was another one. Um, so we really, I don't feel comfortable. You know, I feel comfortable that I think Biden is going to win, but it could be anywhere from two seventy nine about beyond. You know, I'm not going to. You know, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, there is a Trump victory path, but it's narrow. Like it wasn't twenty sixteen. It's a narrow path. He has to win certain states, but Biden has multiple paths. And so you know, I, of course, I'd rather be in the Biden uh, seat right now. Um, and then I think there are some states that are going to be competitive, that are going to look close, that should not look close, that are going to go to Trump, but but are going to look close. And that is Kansas and Montana. I think those two states are going to be under 10 points. And those are states Trump won by 20 plus last time. Um, you know, Kansas, I think, is largely because of changes in the Kansas City suburbs and like really like where I-70 goes from Topeka to Kansas City, those counties uh, well, Shawnee and Johnson both went for Trump last time. I expect them to go to Biden along with Riley County. Um, I expect some county flips, and I expect it to be a much closer race. We're seeing high turnout in that part of the state, especially. Um, it's not enough to counteract more Republican votes in around Wichita, but I think it's going to be very, it's going to look closer than it should. It will scare the Republicans, that's for sure. And then Montana, we're seeing consistent polling showing around five, six points. I mean, the averages, uh, Montana, and then they've got the competitive Senate race. And we think, I think Steve Bullock is helping um, Joe Biden there. Um, Jack, you mind if I step in? You mind if I step in? Well, I'm trying to get through mine, and you get your own time. Okay. Uh, You know know Kansas City better than I do, so you'll probably have some good points on that. I don't doubt that. And then there's some Senate races that are fun, like, you know, Montana is going to be super close in the Senate. Um, Kansas is going to be super close in the Senate. I'm nervous because I really want to, you know, to make history for my state and send the first physician woman to the Senate and first Democrat since FDR. Um, I don't know. It's going to be super close. And you, you know, then you've got, you know, I think there are some states that the Democrats wish were competitive, like Texas. And Texas is not competitive in the Senate race. Uh, there is no chance MJ Hager beats John Cornyn. Um, South Carolina, you know, I think that's an interesting state to watch in the Senate race. You know, the numbers are on Graham right now. We'll have to see. I think, you know, personally, as much as I would like Jamie Harrison to be Lindsey Graham, I do think Graham has the edge. Uh, but there are some Senate races that I think are bound for upsets um, that are definitely on the table for upsets like Kansas, Alaska, um, and stuff like that. I think we have a bunch of really good opportunities um, for, for Dem pickups um, in the Senate. Um, you know, North Carolina and uh, Arizona and Colorado and Maine are all looking fairly um, very likely right now. Of course, there you know a couple of those are fairly close and could go the either way. Um, and then you know, and then of course, we're Democrats are going to lose to Alabama. Um, but I think there's some really fun. Iowa is going to be super close. Um, I've seen consistent data. You know, the Des Moines Register had a poll, but then Emerson College had a poll showing the exact opposite thing. So I don't really. And those are both good pollsters in Iowa. So I really don't know what Iowa Senate race. I will, although I'm confident Trump is going to win, Ernest is having some trouble, especially after that debate performance um, where she did not know the price of corn, um, which is very important to the farmers of Iowa. And we've actually seen that has actually impacted um, Ernst's polling since then. So it may not be enough to lose her seat, but it's going to be too close for comfort. Um, if you're Senator Ernst, and um, 
So, I mean, the fact that there are Trump Greenfield voters in Iowa is very – something I would never have predicted a month ago. Um, and then I think, yeah, so it should be very fun to watch presidential and Senate seats. Um, you know, there are some states that were swing a few years ago, like Colorado and Virginia, which I don't think are even worth talking about at the presidential level or even the Senate level. I think those are just almost give me the Democrats. And then, and then that really kind of shows where we're at in a world where we can kind of talk about those as likely or safe. And we're not really even talking the fact that we're talking about Texas re- in a realistic sense. Um, and it's looking competitive. And I've heard different things. I've heard some Republican operatives say it's going to be a blowout in Texas. And I've heard Democratic people say, I've heard some people I know on the Democratic side say it's going to be super, super close. And so, you know, there's some things we don't know. We don't know certain things. But there's certain things that I know certain it's going to be an interesting few. I mean, I think by Friday, barring some crazy lawsuits, I think we will know the result by Friday. Um, and if it's a Trump and it has a Biden blowout in the South, I think we could know election night. But it would require a Biden blowout in the South for us to know election night. All and right. I'll move on to you, Tyler. Yeah, Tyler, go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep on a little more brief, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I see the national lead, and and you know, it, it makes sense. But you know, when I see polls of Biden being up six or seven points in Florida, I don't buy it. You know, or or Biden being up in such wide margins and. North Carolina and Arizona, I don't buy it. I think if Biden wins, you know, any states in the Sun Belt or the South, uh, it's going to be um, within two or three points. Um, I, I just, I think the election is much, much closer than people are giving it credit for. And, you know, I, you know, I have, you know, you know, my preferences on who would win, you know, who I vote for, I really don't reveal because I, you know, I believe in the secret ballot, but, you know, I think you, you have to detach yourself from who you voted for, who your preferences are, really look at this, and I think you realize when you put all those bias away, uh, you realize it's a very, very close election um, that we're, uh, that we're in the middle of, and, you know, thank goodness coming to the end of, it has been, you know, certainly one hell of an election season but i uh i really do believe that we're going to find a way to come out of this stronger uh whether that's from the biden camp or the trump camp uh, that we're going to find a way to come together you know and and come to our senses um amidst all the divisiveness so i think we'll see what happens i think definitely biden is going to win the popular vote but for the Electoral College, I, I don't really feel comfortable making too many big predictions because I just don't buy many of the numbers. This could go anyway, and this could, you know, anything could happen. So that's my two cents. I think the Democrats win the House, and the Senate, too, is even more unpredictable. So we'll have to see what happens on election night. All right, and I'll turn it over to my father. What are your predictions? Hillary by four. Oh, sorry. Um, I, uh, I, I, I've said it often in the last four, almost four years. I thought I knew any, something about presidential elections, and four years ago proved me wrong. I know nothing. Um, you know, I mean, what I, what I thought I knew and my observations leading into the 2016 would certainly tell me using those formulas and my and my experiences that Biden Biden's going to win. And uh I I I would throw the 2016 election out as a as a, a, a an odd duck 
and I'd say that Biden's going to win. Um, you know, I, I, Tyler, I think you hit on a lot of very, very good uh, points about about polling. I do think it's going to be a lot closer than people uh, predict. Um, but I'm I'm just going to go and and lay it all out there and say, you know, Biden by five nationally, uh, and I think um, I think he will be probably approaching 300 in the electoral college. All right. Well, let's uh let's move into this week's news. So, uh uh, uh Judge Amy Coney Barrett was officially uh somebody's excited uh confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. Uh Amy Coney Barrett is 48 and she will be the newest Supreme Court justice. Uh she will be uh, replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, on the court. Uh, this uh, solidifies uh, a conservative supermajority on the court uh, by a 6-3 to three, uh, margin. However, many Democrats uh, are calling uh, hypocrisy uh, on uh, the decision, um, saying, uh, that, uh, um, saying that saying de- that Republicans are going against uh, the rule they estab- uh, a rule that they established uh, with Merrick Garland uh, in 2016. Uh, right now, uh, many Democrats are suggesting potentially uh, adding seats to the Supreme Court. Uh, New York Congresswoman uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar are among those two. Um, however, uh, uh, Joe Biden right now is declining to say whether he would add seats to the Supreme Court he did say that he was, uh, quote, not a fan of the idea, but has uh, declined to say outright whether he will add seats uh, or not. Uh, we'll start with Tyler first. Uh, what are your thoughts on the confirmation uh, of now Justice Amy Coney Barrett? Personally, I think it's it's very exciting. Um, I think it's great to see another woman on the court, you know, and I think every time a new justice comes through it's a very exciting time it changes a little bit of the shape of a court you know it it really shows the power that i guess just even one person can have on the entire judiciary i think that's kind of special so you know i'm i uh i am glad that she was um you know that that she was confirmed although i will say i i really do wish that it would have come after the election um but, you know, I think Mitch McConnell understands much more than many Democrats do that politics is a game of, of winners win and losers lose. And, uh, you know, yes, you know, people might be saying, oh, it's hypocritical, you know, yada, yada, da. Um, it is very hypocritical that it happened. I wish it didn't happen this way, that Amy Coney Barrett could have been, um, you know, nominated either in, you know, maybe the lame duck, preferably not, or, you know, in a second term, I, I prefer not another Trump second term, but if that were to happen, I think that's been a lot more appropriate time to nominate her. But all that aside, I think Mitch McConnell made a calculation and, and saw a net benefit, a much greater net benefit of having Amy Coney Barrett on the court than just trying to, you know, wager it on, for, on Trump getting reelected. You know, the court's very, very important. And I think it's good that we have, you know, 
someone who, you know, originalist, you know, with that. But I think what I'm more excited for is that we're going to have someone who's a, uh, you know, strict constructionist, uh, someone who's going to look at decisions um, from a frame of, you know, reference that is, you know, really focused on, um, oh, let me say, uh, that, that's really focused on, you know, the law as it is, not what it was intended to be, you know, really looking at the text of the law. And so someone who's very textualist, and that's, that's personally to me what I am, I think, most excited about. All right, and we'll turn it over to Jack. What are your thoughts on the confirmation of now Justice Amy Coney Barrett? Jack? I think it is, I think it is quite hypocritical of the Republican Party, um, you know, since they blocked Merrick Garland. And he, Obama appointed Mr. Garland sometime in all in January of 2016. Well, well, you know, the primaries were just getting started. I don't know if even Iowa had happened yet. Um, and and uh, Barrick was nominated after the conventions, and we were in the midst of a general election. I think that was a quite inappropriate, and especially after Ms., Ms., uh, Mrs. Ginsburg's wish of not being replaced until a new, until after the election, until after the new president, until after after inauguration day. I think it was quite um, inconsiderate um, to disobey her her dying wish, and to disobey, and and to disobey the rule of the people, and to, and also they were just like, okay, we, you know what? If the Republicans had kept it, you know, I disagreed with the back. 2016, when they said we're not going to nominate, we're not going to nom- we're not going to pass through Merrick Garland. If they had kept us there, the rule. If you set up, if you keep with the framework you set up, I'm okay with it. Um, and you say, okay, we're not going to, you know, we are not going to nominate in a certain past a certain point in the election year. You know what? That's that's a different point of view that I'm very happy to look at. Um, but but they're just saying no. We're doing what's best for the party, not what's best for the country. And that's really what got me. I'm not even going to comment on her, her beliefs or anything like that. I just think it was regardless of who she is, even if she was someone that I believe would be good for the court, I would still be angry about this. Um, and you know, if the second Trump gets us, you know, if he were to get reelected, you know, he has every right to nominate a Supreme Court justice and should be confirmed. Um, but I do believe this was inappropriately timed and. Um, Mitch McConnell show, and also the fact that they did this instead of passing stimulus. That really, because there are millions of Americans struggling right now. And instead of saying, we're going to work on stimulus before the election, we are going to work on, we are going to make sure that we have you ram through and stack the court. You know, the Republicans yell about Democrats when they said, no, this is stacking the court. They took they took two seats from the, that, um, the middle Kavanaugh. That was a perfectly good appointment. Um, I'm not going to say anything about him, but that was a perfectly timed appointment in the middle of a president's term. Garland was stolen from Obama, and this was stolen from um, likely President Biden. Um, being realistic, um, and and that is that is um, and and so you know instead of being a instead of being a, de- a lean de- a democratically appointed court five to four, it's a Republican court six to three. That is, um, I think, really says that, you know, I think that really will anger a lot of people. And I really, you know, I'm not going to comment on court packing. Um, but I'm going to say that I understand why a lot of Democratic supporters are saying it. It is not unfounded because that's what, that's what Republicans have done. Um, especially if, you know, if you consider the Democrats have won the popular vote five out of six times. So more Americans have voted for a Democratic president five out of six times. And yet we have a majority support six to three. I, I think that I think that really causes some issues. Um and you may have judges making interpretations on the Constitution that 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 would not be made if the court was appointed by presidents that more Americans wanted to see in office. And and so I think you really have to see. Um, I, I think that creates an issue. Um, and I think we need we need to find some way to remedy this Supreme Court issue. I don't know what the answer is, 
I really don't. Um, there needs to be some large-scale discussion on this on, on, on the national level um, after this election. We need to figure out whether it be term limits, whether it be, um, whether it be anything else. Um, we, we need to find an answer to make sure that we do not have this again. Um, and I, I, you know, I hope she's a good justice. I hope she, um, I hope she does not let her political opinions interfere in her judgeship. Um, because I, of course, you know, I do hope that, but I, I am very concerned about what this means, not even necessarily for what decision the court will make, but what it means for the nation politically. All right. And we'll turn over to my father. What are your thoughts on the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett? Well, it's been a good week for Notre Dame. Uh, we had a great win against uh, Georgia Tech, and Amy Coney Barrett was, uh, was seated uh, in the United States Supreme Court. I, I, I strongly disagree with my friend that anything was stolen. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to go back in history to uh, 1992, when then uh, chairman of the, of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, Senator Joe Biden, said, without a vacancy, should a vacancy occur between this date and the end of the Bush 41 presidency, we shall not fill any more seats on the Supreme Court, even though there wasn't even a vacancy. That was the Biden rule. That was, that was created by Joe Biden. So when uh, Mitch McConnell, as the chairman of the uh, Judiciary Committee, uh, received the nomination of Merrick Garland. He was just taking the advice of the former chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Joe Biden. Um, we then went through that process. Joe Biden reversed course. Hillary was scathing over uh, the Republicans not taking up the nomination of, uh, of, of, of Merrick Garland in a lame duck with a lame duck president. Um, and so Mitch McConnell this time said, well, okay, maybe I got the Biden rule wrong. You want me to, now you want me to move these nominations along? Nothing, nothing was stolen. And, and, and to me, and I ask all my Democrat friends to just answer this simple question. This is a very simple question. If there was a Democrat in the White House and the Democrats controlled the Senate and it was looking like a Republican was about to become president, if you will look me in the eye and tell me that Chuck Schumer would not fill this seat, we can have a conversation. But I've, I have, I've posed that question to friends. I posed it on Facebook, on other social media. I have not been confronted by one Democrat that will look me in the eye and say that if the role was reversed, Chuck Schumer would not fill that seat. Constitutionally, the president had every right to fill the seat. He made, and the other thing I want to give Donald Trump credit for, but as you know, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump produced a list when he became president. He said, here's the list. You have all the time in the world to vet my candidates. You know, here's 20 names. The judges I'm going to appoint are going to come off of this list. And, and in my view, when I looked at that list when it first came out, the superstar name on that was Amy Coney Barrett. And, and, and it took him the third time. The third time was the charm to get her. She is unbelievably qualified. She'll be an excellent judge. Her peers at Notre Dame, very liberal peers, 
have rated her incredibly highly qualified to suggest you know you know you said uh you hope her politics doesn't inter- inter- come into play in her judgments um i i feel the same way about sotomayor and Breyer and and kagan uh you know i mean look the the point is all of these judges are are very highly uh regarded uh during the Kavanaugh, that embarrassing, disgusting uh, 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 hearing, um, Lindsey Graham talked about uh, how he supported Kagan and, and, and Sotomayor. If you go back in time into the 1800s, most, most Supreme Court justices, justices were appointed by acclamation. They, didn't, they just all raised their hands and said, yeah, put them on the court. There weren't even votes. There was a few that there, that there were votes, but but now ever ever since the uh, hearing of Clarence Thomas, it has become incredibly political. But the Democrats still get by with sixty and seventy, and and in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's case, over ninety votes. The Democrats have just taken to war with the Republicans and 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 have have really come on. And and I think I think the and 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 also I I'm. I'm going on too long here, but, but I also think the Senate has lost touch with exactly what advice and consent means. And it, what, what it ultimately means is, unless you can come up with a very valid reason, and that's not your ideology, if, if this person is corrupt or this person is a, a relative of someone, they're the reasons to reject the candidate. But, but that's, that's what advice and consent, advice and consent means. And, 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 the, and the Senate has really changed uh, the definition of that in, in these. And I'm not just talking about this particular hearing, but all of them. So that's my two cents. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to the next story. So uh, President Trump and Joe Biden participated in one last presidential debate uh, this week. Um, during this debate, uh, they made their final cases. Uh, oh, um, one of the uh, one of the things uh, that uh, was highly talked about was the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, uh, Donald uh, Joe Biden uh, attacked uh, Donald Trump for uh, his handling of the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, as he has throughout the entire campaign. Trump had to uh, once again defend it, um, and in addition to that, uh, Donald. Uh, in addition to that, Joe Biden also had to defend. Uh, allegations uh, that uh, Hunter Biden, his son, uh, had been involved uh, in illegal activity uh, based on emails. Um, we'll start with you, Dan. What were your thoughts uh, on the debate? Um, and then we'll go to uh, the others. Well, I was happy to see that the debate was a little more civil than the, than the first debate. Um, you know, I think, I think it's absolutely right to criticize Trump for his handling of COVID. I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it has not been a great response. Um, I think that, I think he should have nationalized the response more. I kind of understand why he didn't, but, but, you know, I, I, I think back to other federal, uh, well, national, uh, problems and the federal government was mobilized. And I think that that would have been a better response. I'm not impressed at all with Trump's, uh, response to COVID, but, um, I was just, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is uh, on debates in the future. They're not really debates to begin with. 
Um, I mean, maybe maybe we should bring in a a Yale debate system and and actually hold them to stern laws. These are shouting matches, and and they have been for a long time, not just in this cycle. Um, so um, I I just I I I don't know who won. I I think Trump did very well. I think Biden held his own in that one. Uh, but 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 I don't. I think the American people lose. I think we lose on the world stage when we see what happened. Certainly in the first debate. So there's my thoughts. Uh, okay, uh, let's go to Tyler. Tyler, what were your thoughts on this week's debate? Yeah. Well, I thought the debate um, still could have been much better. Um, you know, I I think debates used to have a big effect uh, back in you know 1960. We saw. You know, uh, Kennedy, you know, the difference between listening on the radio and watching it on TV, you know, when you uh, really have a lot of, you know, style that comes out in debate. And, you know, to be honest, I feel like the style of both candidates, uh, Biden and Trump, was more of an annoyance than it was anything intriguing or convincing. So, you know, I, I think that I, I, you know, I agree. I agree you know, with, with what I've just heard, you know, very much that I'm glad it was more civil, but, you know, watch the New Zealand, you know, for those interested, you know, watch the New Zealand uh, prime minister debates. I mean, they are repeatedly asked, what is one thing you admire about the other candidate? Or mm-hmm. what is one accomplishment that a, uh, that your um, opponent has made that you agree with? That, that's a great point. Great what, point. What's that? That's a great point. Yeah, 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 you know, and so they're, uh, so they're, so, you know, they, they talk good about each other, and, you know, and it's all about policy, so, you know, I think we can learn, you know, a thing or two from the Kiwis uh, out there, but, you know, it's, it, you know, we, we could do with a lot more civility. On, on the COVID question, you know, I think my, my answer to this, you know, or at least part of what we need to do is we need a, a national mask mandate. I think that's, you know, first and foremost, what we need to do, get that out of the way. I think a national ma- mask mandate's needed. Um, I, I think we'll get that under a Biden presidency, or at least we'd be more likely to get that on a Biden presidency than a Trump presidency. Um, PPE, you know, we need, uh, we need it for our schools. If we want schools to open up, we need, uh, even more investment in testing. You know, we really need to get kids tested if we want to get kids back in the classroom, if we want more people working. We need uh, massive, massive testing. I don't feel like we're getting it to where we even should now. And I also think we should pay attention to the racial disparity that this has highlighted. You know, here in Kansas City, uh, it is impacted Wyandotte County, which is just north of, um, you know, where I'm from, Johnson County, much more um, than it has many other places in the state. Um, you know, in, in Johnson County here, yes, but they're still having a tough time as well as they are in Douglas, but, you know, in in, uh, in, in Wyandotte County, I'm sure Jack could speak to Sedgwick's experience. Uh, uh, there's, you know, it's a much more diverse community. Um, you know, there's many more minorities, and it's found a very particular struggle uh, with this virus. So I think that this has shown that, you know, we don't, uh, you know, uh, put our resources where they need to be. There's a disparity in where our resources go. And if and when this ever happens again, we need to make sure that everybody, um, everybody is included in the response and everybody's protected by the response. Wow. All right. Uh, well, uh, let's uh, move on to Jack. 
so, Jack, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, what were your thoughts on this week's debate? Well, you know, this debate that happened most recently, I don't think was um, all that right. You know, it didn't appear to move the numbers much, which is interesting. Seemed fairly stable after that. You know, I'm glad it was a little more civil. I think the microphone rule helped with that. And Trump's and Trump's team after that disaster, the first debate was like, okay, they coached him a little bit. That was very evident that they coached him. Um, uh, give me one second. I've got to plug in my computer. Um, let's fix that. Um, okay. Um, I think there were, you know, I think that was very evident that Trump made a sort of effort to sound more like a president. Um, and so I think that's why you didn't see much Biden improvement after the debate, um, after the, um, after the debate, or you didn't see any Trump losses really, um, in any large scale, might have been a slight bump, I don't really quite remember. Um, but I think there is, I think, you know, the first debate, going back to that, that is like, I think one of the most pivotal moments, because that's when Biden really opened up a big relief, was after that first debate, and the president has not been able to recover from that. Um, you know, now it's you know, it's looking, you know, it went from a you know, it went up to about a ten point lead around them. Now we're averaging a national lead of about eight and a half. It's probably not going to be that, but the fact that the president is down that much, an incumbent, we haven't seen that since nineteen eighty. Um, and so, you know, you're in a very, you know, you're, you're in a situation, you know, in some way in nineteen eighty, the debate, you know, the debate, you know, the debate really didn't necessarily matter. Carter was going to lose that election, um, and, and I think Trump's in a similar situation. The debates. Really wouldn't even if he had it. He would have needed a stellar performance. He would have needed that, um, you know, that kind of one of those really rare moments in the debate. You know, because but really the I mean, and also debates. Well, people still watch them. I think they have. Oh. Oh. What happened? Uh. You lose everybody. Hold on. Do you want me to just go back to where I was? Sure, yeah. Alrighty. Well, I, you know, I think, you know, we can go, you know, you can look at, you know, I think these debates out, you know, I think the first debate was one of the rare moderate, moderate, moderate instances of really having any sizable effect on their results. Um, you know, because, you know, you know, in 2012 and 2008, both candidates did very well in those debates, um, even though the results ended up being quite decisive. Um, you know, I think 2000 is, a, is an interesting example, you know, with, uh, with uh, Al Gore caught sighing and something George Bush was saying. You know, that was a one little one moment, but it really kind of, it annoyed some people off saying he was being disrespectful. And it was a close race. You know, did that make a difference? Who knows? And then, you, you know, you can go back to 1988 and the Kitty Hawkins and in the, in the Kitty Dukakis uh, little thing that happened in the 88, one of the 88 debates um, that really made Dukakis sound like a robot, and so you know you have to go back to those moments. And but it, you really can't find one moment in that first debate. It was just Trump was just sounding like, just was like a complete sounded like just and you know was not sounding presidential, and Biden was trying to get words in. And so people you know people felt pity on him. It's like well look at this bully over here. People don't like bullies. And so I think that's my that's what my first the first debate is much more interesting to analyze because I think there was actually a result from it in terms of affecting the affecting polling at all. The second debate people just tended to see two politicians in more in a way, which was better for Trump because he didn't, uh, it didn't hurt him. Um, but he didn't have that breakout performance he would have needed uh, if he wanted to see a bump in the polls in his direction. Um, and, and so, you know, it, and so it's kind of interesting that I think debates do have an impact on occasion. And I think, uh, the cycle had one of those, okay, 2016, you know, I don't think they had any impact because Clinton did very, of course, in scientific and in incident polling, Clinton 
won most of the major um, polls on the debates um, comfortably, but then always lost the then of course lost the election. Um, and so, but you know, I think this is a very interesting polling uh, a, a debate year. We only had two debates, which is the first time that was the case since 1996 when uh, Bill Clinton and Bob Dole only had two debates. Um, so this was the first time since '96 we've had two debates, and so I would be very interested to see when we get to 2024 if we'll have three debates, um, or if the two debates may become more normal because maybe people don't want to have three of those things, um, you know, uh, just because sometimes people get very annoyed by them, and we very interested if we do go back to three debates, which I would prefer because, in my opinion, what should be done is they should be broken down more into policy. Like we should have one debate just for domestic policy, one debate just for foreign policy, one debate just for you know audience questions. Um, I've always kind of thought the debate should be broken down that way. Um, so that way you can, you know, you can ask more detailed questions, um, um, which candidates often from both parties struggle. Uh, sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. And they think sometimes we need to nudge them and say, we want, we want answers. We want to know exactly what you're going to do about X. You know, candidates should have a plan um, for what they're going to do about major issues facing the country. And the people should have a right in some of the I mean, those things are among the most viewed things in, in the United States among the Super Bowl. I mean, always get 90 million, 100 million viewers and have for some time. Um, and so I think it's it's very vital that people watching them get uh, get a sense of who the, uh, it, you know, I, I and, um, and you get a sense of who the candidates are and, uh, and why they uh, should support them over the opponent. And also, one thing the debates, this is something that I know not everyone agrees with me on. I do believe more third party candidates of both the left and the right um, should be allowed to debate. You know, I think uh, both George, George, George Jorgensen and uh, Howie Hawkins should have been invited to the debate. I'm not a fan of either. Um, but those are those parties both have an, a ballot access and enough states to reach 270. Um, have 270 electoral habit access in enough states to reach 270, and so I think um, they should have been they should have been allowed um, on the debate stage. And you know we haven't had an independent or third party on the debate since '92 with Perot, and of course he did very well. And I think it helps being people view you as more legitimate if you're on the debates. Um, so I think if your party has a ballot access in enough states, you should be allowed to uh, you should be allowed to be in the presidential debates. And and also they should bring back uh, the League of Women Voters holding the debates instead of the um, instead of the debate commission because the debate commission is run by party insiders of both parties versus the League of Women Voters is an outside nonpartisan group and they did a very and the debates were better if you go back and look at when the de- when they held the debates they tended to be just a little better the moderators tended to be a little better that's my personal opinion um, they tended to be a little. Um, and, and then, of course, they let in Anderson and Perot, which the major parties did not like in 1980, 1992. Um, and I think, I think we need to change that. Okay. Um, I, I, I would just say uh, I, I, I do uh, – I, I understand what you're saying about the League of Women Voters then. The League of Women Voters now is, is a purely liberal organization. I mean, they, they, they have no I, – and I, I see it in – here in New York State – in they they sponsor a lot of the local debates here and and I have evidence I've actually given a deposition um on on the League of Women Voters and 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 that that's just they they're they're a shell of what they used to be and that's that's just that they're just a liberal organization you might as well have the ACLU conduct the debates if you're going to have the League of Women Voters in in 2020 I I understand what you're saying and I I may agree with you about the past, but they're they're not the they're not, and I and I think that the current, uh, quote unquote bipartisan presidential commission is also flawed, and I don't have an answer for for the way forward. But I would not endorse the idea of the League of Women Voters. Yeah, 
All right. Uh, well, uh, let's move on uh, to the next story. So, uh, rapper Little Wayne appears to have uh, embraced, uh, or appears to have embraced Donald Trump. It is unknown whether he's supporting him. Uh, however, uh, Little Wayne did take a picture with President Trump, giving him uh, the thumbs up. Uh, Little Wayne said on Twitter, "Quote: Just had a great meeting with President Donald Trump at POTUS." Besides what he's done so far with criminal justice reform, the Platinum Plan is going to give the community real ownership. Um, uh, um, uh, real ownership. Uh, he went on to say, he listened to what we had to say today and assured us we could get done. The Platinum pa uh, Plan is geared towards uh, black uh, Americans. Uh, it uh, intends to try and... Uh, help black communities in some ways and, and attempts to be beneficial. Um, we'll start, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start with, um, we'll start with, uh, Ru uh, Rush, uh, Rushiv. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could just say no comment. It's kind of a surreal time we live in. Uh, that Lil Wayne's endorsing or embracing Donald Trump. I, I'd really be eager, eager to see what in the world a platinum plan is. Um, uh, it just sounds like good marketing to me. But, you know, I think that in the grand scheme of things, you know, uh, a rapper endorsing a president doesn't have much effect. You know, Kanye West runs not that much of an effect at all. You know, uh it's great to see people in pop culture being involved in politics, but I really don't think it has, you know, the effect that people think it would have. You know, I don't think Lil Wayne is going to bring a whole bunch of young people, you know, his audience is core, um, you know, 18, 25 year old voters to, to vote for Trump, because I think we're all pretty clear that 18, 25 year olds are probably going to be overwhelmingly vote for Biden or at least lean towards Biden, you know? So, it's interesting. It's a very surreal, kind of crazy time we live in that all this stuff is happening. Um, you know, I never really thought that I would see Lil Wayne and President Trump standing side by side, you know, six or seven years ago, talking about a platinum plan. So I really don't know what to think about it. I think it's kind of a lot of nonsense, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens on Tuesday. All right. And we'll, uh, we'll, uh, We'll turn it over to my father. What are your thoughts? Uh, I I don't know that I have any th thoughts on this one. Um, I don't. I agree that I don't think I, celebrity endorsements uh, mean nothing to me. I suppose they do in in the uh, Twitter world to to maybe some young people. I, I I don't care what George Clooney thinks. I don't care what Little Wayne thinks. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say until a week ago I never heard of Little Wayne. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I marvel at the day. I am I'm old enough to remember when Frank Sinatra endorsed Ronald Reagan, and, and I thought that was a big deal. But <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't have. I, I, I don't know what to say. All right. Well, quickly, we're going to go to Jack Ferguson. Quickly, we, we, we got to move on to the other stories. But, Jack, uh, quickly, what are your, uh, what's your take on, uh, on this? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. I could give you a very, I could give you a very political answer. Um, I have my own beliefs on 
on why certain people endorse certain, you know, I don't, that wasn't a clear endorsement, um, so I'm not really going to say anything, you know, and I can say the issues he brought up are things that, you know, the first step back that Trump did sign was a bipartisan bill was a good thing. Of course, we need the second step. We need to move forward on that regardless of who the next president is. Um, but, that, you know, that is something that Trump has done that was a good, that was a good first start. Um, it's one of the few things I was like, oh, he did something good for once. I was actually kind of pleased with that when, when that first passed. And so this is, you know, in theory, I kind of understand why someone in the black community would reach out to Trump and try to maybe nudge him on that and try to get his good graces by 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 being enamored by him, even if he doesn't. I don't I don't know or care what Little Wayne thinks, but I can see why possibly he is trying to get him a trip and maybe trying to push him further on this issue. Possibly is my logic is maybe he's trying to. Um, it's really trying to influence the president and trying to get the president to, because we know that Trump kind of is more likely to do something if, uh, if, if you're, if you're, if you're saying good things about him and that kind of thing. Um, so it, it could be a tactical move on his part, which, you know, would make sense. And I mean, actually would be quite smart. Um, or it could just be, they had a good talk and, you know, and that's it. I'm not going to say anything overly um, political on it. I just think um, it's very, it's not, inter- it's interesting. Uh, I don't think it has any impact on the election. Um, you know, on everything like that, but it is it is interesting um, when when those kind of when uh, to see people endorse or talk about political candidates you may not think they would support uh, traditionally. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to the next story. So there's a bit of controversy over a recent 60 Minutes interview featuring President Donald Trump. Uh, the interview was conducted by Leslie Stahl. Uh, and uh, the interview uh, was between Trump and uh, Stahl, and it did get heated at one point. Uh, Trump did argue with Stahl, and Trump ended up leaving uh, the room, leaving the interview. Uh, Trump uh, uh, got into a fight with Leslie Stahl uh, later on via Twitter and said that he was threatening to put uh, the uh, 60 Minutes interview on uh, the internet before it aired on 60 Minutes on CBS. Um, uh, additionally, uh, Donald Trump also aired the Mike Pence interview for 60 Minutes before it aired on CBS. Um, but uh, but there was that. Uh, so uh, let's talk. And, and Donald Trump also uh, attacked Leslie Stahl for uh, for the way she interviewed. Joe Biden versus the way she interviewed Donald Trump. Trump thought it was unfair the way he was being interviewed. Um, but uh, let's let's talk to. Um, we'll start with Tyler quickly. Tyler, what are your thoughts uh, on uh, the sixty minutes interview? Yeah, I not not too much to say on it, but I think it does highlight. The, the fact I think probably maybe all of us agree on the fact that Donald Trump really doesn't know how to conduct himself many a time in a you know quote unquote presidential manner. Uh, you know you got to be ready to ask those tough questions, and you know when you're president, you also got to be ready to not answer questions. You know, and when there's things you know there are certain things you have to dodge when you're a politician. You know, you don't want to give them you know the news or you know reporters everything you know, uh, but. I think it was a little ridiculous. It's nothing we have probably seen before. You know, I think Trump has probably stormed off or ended many an interview. But uh, it's always interesting to see what happens when he goes on the national news. You know, they always press him, which is a good thing. He's the president. You know, you should be pressed and ask tough questions, you know, the way he's handled COVID. Um, 
the economy, you know, how are we going to, you know, build back stronger as, you know, we, I've been hearing a lot of people say. So, you know, I, I just think it's a pure example that he just really doesn't know how to conduct himself. And many a times I feel a little embarrassed um, when, when he speaks and I just think, oh, my goodness, there's our president. Here's all this stuff he's saying. And, yeah, it can be quite, quite embarrassing sometimes. All right, we'll turn it over to my father. What were your thoughts on the 60 Minutes Leslie Stahl interview? Well, I agree with a lot of what Tyler said. Um, I, I don't know why he agreed to do the interview to begin with. Um, you know, cer certainly, take take Trump, take names out of the the, the main the quote-unquote mainstream press, certainly uh, over the past decades has treated the Democrats with kick gloves and the Republicans uh, completely differently. Um, Trump, Trump was never going to get a fair shot there. Um, but, but I agree with everything Tyler said. I think that, that you know, I, I mean, I, mean I, I just don't, I don't think that that was journalism. I don't think it was a journalistic interview. I think it was a, it was, she did treat Trump differently. The questions were different. The tone was different. Trump did a lot to set the tone himself, but that's, but often, often when Trump does these things, or or just in the reporting, the tone is already set. They're not they're not interested in 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 a probing question with a looking for an intelligent answer. They're 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 very much into a gotcha mode. Um, I again, I just I, I question why Trump said yes to to the interview in the first place. I I would have advised him against doing it. Um, but, you know, Trump, that would have been, you know, a couple of million people, four, five, six million people watching that interview uh, that night. And it would have made little to no impact, but Trump blew it up and, and made, made something out of it. And, and now here we are talking about it. So, And Jack, very quickly, what were your thoughts on the Leslie Stahl Donald Trump interview? You know, I only saw snippets of the interview, and the reason I even cared to look at it um, is because of the state Trump was making. Otherwise, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even bother to even look at any clips of it. It was like a plane like, crash, right? Because I, I know where the candidates stand. Sure. I know who I'm voting. Um, I've made up my mind. Um, and I've already voted and those kinds of things. I, you know, I, you know and, and I know what the interview, you know, I know that they would ask Trump, you know, and Trump would just be himself and Biden would say whatever he's going to say and it wouldn't make a difference. But, oh, Trump was obviously mad about something. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> and, um, and so I did watch a few of the clips and I'm just like, you know, and those are questions that he should have, he should have known going into that environment. He should have known how to answer those questions or have some type of answer. You know, and Trump is sometimes, Absolutely. you know, you go back and watch some of those interviews in 2016. He was good at messing with the press. He was, you know, that's one thing. He was great in those interviews. He knew how to manipulate things in his favor. And he's kind of lost some of that, some of the little magic touch that he had that helped him win the presidency along with his rallies and things like that. I mean, Trump in 2016 was a, that is a master of campaign strategy. I mean, not him necessarily, but his team and what they told him to do was masterful. And I think there's a reason he upset Hillary Clinton. Um, and it was, and it was because of the strategy where, you know, they sent him to Wisconsin, Michigan 20 times a day and he was saying the exact same thing. He was giving a consistent message. Um, and now he just, you know, he has changed. He went from being indestructible to being so, to being so easily set off and people are just like who are you you're a clown and so people went from like oh he's a straight talker to oh he's a clown and i think this really is like the difference in how we handled interviews in 2016 where he would just say stuff and it you know work and to down just like saying oh i'm just pouting out of an interview and just said i'm gonna post it first you know that kind of thing 
um, really, really says what, regardless of who he is, sets a tone with the American people that uh, he's utterly unserious. And um, I think it just further in some people's minds to be like, okay, my opinions on him are validated further by this piece of evidence. And it, it was sure to, I mean, it may have, maybe with his base, been like, they may have been like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever, the fake news media, whatever. Maybe with a small portion of his base got them a little more riled up than they already are. But I don't see this helping. I mean, it definitely did not help him in any way. If, if it helped anyone, it was Biden. I don't know if it did, but if it, if it did, if it helped anyone, it was, it was Biden. And I don't, that's the partisan statement. I think that's really uh, looking at uh, how, you know, had he not said anything? Had he, had he just went to the interview, didn't do anything, just went through with it? Even if it was bad for him, had he not said anything about it, no one would have watched it and it would have blown over. I mean, it was a horrible strategy on his part to uh, vote this up. I just, it, you know, if you have a failure, usually, you know, pushing political campaigns in the last two weeks, you sweep it under the rug. All right. Well, let's move on to the last story. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about the last batch of polls going into Election Day. Uh, so right now, according to the Real Clear Politics average, Real Clear Politics, of course, takes uh, a uh, a majority of respected pollsters and rounds up the average of who's ahead. Uh, according to them, uh, on the national average, Joe Biden has a substantial lead. He has a lead of plus 7.2. However, uh, on the um, uh, national, at, at the statewide level, uh, Joe Biden uh, uh, does have a narrower advantage. However, he does have a slight advantage in all the battleground states with the exception of one. Um, in Florida, uh, Joe Biden currently ha- holds a, point se- a plus se- uh, point zero seven, uh, advantage in Florida. In Pennsylvania, he currently holds a plus four advantage. In, um, in uh, Michigan, he currently holds a plus 6.2 advantage. In Wisconsin, he currently holds a plus 6.0 advantage. In North Carolina, he currently holds a plus 0.3 advantage. In Arizona, he holds a a plus 1.1 advantage. Uh, In Ohio, he holds a plus 0.3 advantage. However, uh, in uh, Iowa, Donald Trump currently holds a plus 0.3 advantage. Uh, well, start with Tyler. What are your thoughts on this polling? Um, <laughs> I talked about it earlier. You know, I don't buy it. You know, I, uh, I think the election's much closer than it is. But I will say, you know, uh, I think Joe Biden's going to win the popular vote by not too comfortable, but by a reasonable margin. I think that if Joe Biden doesn't get more than 50% of the popular vote, his chances of victory just crash. You know, he's really going to have to have an election where the majority of Americans and a large part of the country come together for him. Uh, So, you know, we're going to see what happens. Uh, You know, I've talked about it earlier. You know, I don't think he's that ahead of Florida. In fact, I think maybe Trump could even have some sort of an edge in Florida. You know, I don't think Biden will get Ohio. You never know. He very well could. But, you know, Georgia as well. I don't think I don't think Biden walks away with Georgia in this election. I think he probably has a good chance of walking away with North Carolina. But, you know, I think Jack brought it up. You know, I don't see how. You know, Biden's going to walk away with Iowa or Texas, you know. Uh, Arizona's just another story. It could very well be that Democratic the Democrats get the Senate seat, but they don't 
uh, win the state, you know, uh, from the presidential level. I mean, Joe Biden is a very, very imperfect candidate, but I think he is somebody who, if this election goes his way, can bring everyone together, uh, get everyone moving forward and, you know, pass this divisive era. And if very well Trump wins, he's going to be tasked with that, you know, and is going to have four more years of a lot of people still not really liking him. And there's a good chance he's probably not going to be all too popular his second term if that happens. Uh, but he's going to have to do a lot of coalition building, even though he won't have to worry about another election. He needs to get stuff done. He'll probably be working with the Democratic House for sure. So both presidents are going to have to be uniters and not dividers. All right, and we'll go to my father now. Uh, what 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 are your thoughts on this polling? Could you read those numbers again? No, uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, I I think that um, polling has has been suspect for some time, um, and and you know we've heard stories that Trumpers don't like to admit they're voting for Trump. Um, I, I I I I I think my my bigger concern is on ballot security and 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 early voting and, and what's going on out there. Um, the only poll that counts is on election day, they say. So uh, see what happens. All right, and quickly. Oh, and, and, and Notre Dame will beat Clemson by four. Okay, uh, that's the only poll that matters. And uh, we'll go quickly to Jack uh, before we wrap up the episode. Jack, uh, what, what, what's your thoughts on the polling? Well, you know, I think it looks, you know, of course, you know, you know, I would much rather be in the Biden team right now. I'd much rather be in that position if you made me pick. Um, you know, there is a, there is a path for Trump, um, most certainly. Um, I think, you know, after 2016, we realized, you know, even an 89% chance in the models, you, you, still, you still got a chance um, to win if you're on the other side of that. Um, of course, you play, if you bet on football you bet on, or you play poker, you definitely know that. Um, you know how those odds work. And so, yes, I would rather be on the side of the larger number. But, um, you know, I think... I think there are a few states. I think there are some states, some battlegrounds, like the, the, the upper Rust Belt of Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Mich- Michigan. I feel fairly safe about those. I feel, I feel safe about, you know, states like Ohio um, are coin flips. States like Florida, coin flip. States like Georgia, coin flip. North Carolina, maybe slight advantage Biden. You know, so you have a bunch of states that are coin flips, that are big electoral prizes. And a lot of those states, you know, and so we are going to see I think once we start getting once once we start getting a large tally of results, and especially in the states that will result a that will give a clear result on election night, the states that will be reporting absentee early and polling and and same day voting all in the same on the same night, we will start to get an advantage. I think some of the states where they're only going to be reporting election day voting, um, we're going to get a skewed result because most Trump supporters say they're going to vote election day. So like we could be looking at a result on election night where Trump's up 10 in Wisconsin and that will not, and that will not hold. And then as they count the absentee ballots in those states, we will, that margin will narrow down. Um, but states like Florida where they're, where they vote, those are already been scanned. I think, you know, we're going to see we're, Florida will be a great example on election night. It's the first state that's going to dump votes, um, in any serious manner. And we will really get to see, okay, are the margins? You know, where are the margins anyway, in each county? You know, how do they compare to 2016? How do they compare to 2008? And um, we'll be able to look at those in serious in serious ways and see who's winning. Um, you know, I think there are some states where polling is really going to be, I think Texas is the most interesting state I'm looking at because turnout appears to be much higher than the last election. And so polling could, I think that's the one state where polling could be underrepresenting Biden supporters in serious ways because that state is seeing a massive increase in turnout. 
other than that, I think I'm, you know, we'd be more worried about a understanding of Trump voters um, in most other states. But I think since the pollsters have fixed their models, you know, most of them, even though they were mostly correct outside of really Wisconsin in 2016, um, they fixed their models to even be more accurate to, to learn the mistakes from 2016. So I am fairly confident that the polls will not be off in a substantial way. Um, they might get the margins on wrong, but I think the states, as the pollsters have them, will largely fall close. And you see, any state that's polling within two points, of course, is a coin flip. Um, and so, you know, since in Florida, you know, both that would include both Florida and Texas in the 538 average. And so, we, election night is going to be a crazy night, and it, it could be a very close race. It could be a 279 win for Biden, or it could be a plus 300 win. We just do not know. Um, because there's so many, usually there's not so many close states. <laughs> usually there's like a couple close, but most of them, you know how they're going to fall pretty comfortably. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be wild. All right. Well, that about uh, wraps up this episode. Uh, Jack and Tyler, thank you again for joining me. Yes, thank you. Great to be here, you know. Good talking to you guys. And th- Yeah, thank you too, yes. Dad, for joining me. Thank you. All right, and that about wraps up our election day special. We join us next week uh, when we either talk about the results or talk about something. There's going to be some big story to talk about next week, so you better tune in for it. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.